I'm Amanda Leitner, and welcome to Rochester Rising. Welcome to episode 174 on the podcast today. So today on the show, I got to sit down and chat with my colleague, Jamie Sonsbach, about the Rochester entrepreneurial ecosystem. So we recorded this podcast in the very first days of March, really when the coronavirus wasn't on our radar very much. We knew about it, but thoughts of how big of a financial impact it could have in our community were um, still largely not really something we were thinking about at that moment, which is reflected in the discussion that we had today. It's taken me a long time to post this podcast and to think about if I should in light of everything that's happened in our community since the COVID-19 pandemic has hit. But I think it's still of immense value to share. Because I think a lot of what we talk about, I think, might help to inspire some hope in people listening. Hope in the potential that we have housed in our ecosystem. Hope inspired from what has been created here in the past and what can be created here in the future and hope in regards to the emerging potential that's housed in our entrepreneurial community. So I hope that you listen in today and enjoy this conversation and think about what the future of our business and entrepreneurial ecosystem is going to look like here in Rochester. So we talk about a lot on the podcast uh, today, including the recent history of Rochester's entrepreneurial ecosystem over the last eight years, prior to COVID-19 impact in our community. And what it's going to look like in the future is just speculation at this point. But we talk about how the community was fragmented in the beginning, but really has started to emerge as an entrepreneurial ecosystem, not only here in Rochester, but in hubs across Southeast Minnesota. We talk about emerging local pitch competitions and the need to get more people talking about their ideas. And we discuss why people often have a hard time identifying themselves as entrepreneurs. We end by talking about who makes up our entrepreneurial ecosystem and some of the innovations that are being built or have been built in this community. A reminder as well that Rochester Rising is the storytelling arm of Collider, which is a Rochester-based 501c3 nonprofit that supports Rochester entrepreneurs through education, events, space, and storytelling. So besides our podcast, we have many more article and video content telling the story of Rochester's entrepreneurial ecosystem on our website at rochesterrising.org. So if you enjoy the podcast today, make sure you subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, YouTube, and really wherever you listen into your podcast content. But definitely check out our website as well for more article and video content to learn more about our entrepreneurial ecosystem. All right, so now on to the podcast today with Jamie Sonsbog, the Director of Operations at Collider. So I thought we'd just in general have a conversation about the, the Rochester entrepreneurial mm-hmm. ecosystem. And I think to start, you know, just to set the table for people not as familiar with these kind of terms, um, I guess maybe we'll start with the most controversial one. In your opinion, what, what's the definition of an entrepreneur? Depends. <laughs> and that's, that's not a full answer. <laughs> no, it's not. And that's, that's how you hedge. Um, so there are many different definitions of entrepreneur. Um, I guess the one that I like the most is, is, is just um, 
sort of a it's a weird balance because it's it's there's innovators, there's inventors, there's um, entrepreneurs, and and really I think that really anyone that wants to take a risk and jump into something whether you know that that they can call their own business to me as an entrepreneur, um, I know a lot of people in our own community as well as others who would debate me on that and say, no, it has to be high tech, high growth. You have to be a legit quote unquote startup seeking venture funding. Um, I just think, you know, back when I was a kid, my dad always told me that he was self-employed. And it was funny because when he was looked at as a self-employed individual, it was almost like he was, he was the second class citizen because he couldn't get a real job. And later on, I realized, no, he was out there trying to create a business mm-hmm. and do what, what he does best. And, and that, to me, is, is a risk taker and someone who's, um, who's really bold enough to do that. And I think, for me, that's the definition of an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is the difference between entrepreneur and innovator? So, for example, someone who you know, creates things um, but doesn't want to build a business around them or wants somebody else to build a business around it. Is that an entrepreneur? And I think that's exactly what you said is that dividing line. I think an (laughs) innovator... So David Kelly um, from the Stanford Design School wrote this book. um, Oh, I'm going to totally forget now. Um, But anyway, you can look up David Kelly and and any of his his books. Um, I think it's creativity or something like that where he defines sort of an invention as something that obviously uh, uh, people with great ideas can come up with. But innovation is actually uh, the process of making that a reality. We can think 100 thoughts a day about great ideas, but it's taking it and actually making it a real thing. That's the innovation. Um, I would say that what divides an innovator from an entrepreneur, and I can, I, I think we can absolutely agree that, that that could be the same person or the same group of people. But that dividing line between an innovator and an entrepreneur really is wrapping a business model around that and finding a way to turn it into a business. I think there can be a lot of people who are very good at innovation, but very bad at business. Um, mm-hmm. We see that a lot in academic circles where there's a lot of innovation coming out of universities, but maybe they aren't the best people to take that idea and turn it into an actual profitable business. Yeah, and I liked what um, David Alilla said. I don't remember if it was on the podcast or in his talk um, with Reddy. I can't quite remember when he said basically and these aren't his exact words, but forget about making a business plan, like make your product and see if someone wants to buy it. I think a little bit of that has to go like at the same time mm-hmm. because you have to have a, you have to have a financial plan of how you're going to make money. But I guess, you know, maybe you don't get too far ahead of yourself. And if no one wants to buy what you're offering, then you don't need to make a financial plan. But I don't know. I don't feel like you see too many business plans anymore for like non-traditional businesses? I guess, you know, maybe it's just I live in a different bubble. Um, A lot of the businesses that are around me here at Collider are not, you know, uh, what I would call uh, local bank investable. Um, So it's not traditional loans and things like that. I think 
most banks are still stuck in that because that's what they're used to. Um, and so for the companies that I see that, that I guess you would say are more traditionally innovative, um, that I guess the lean startup methodology has sort of started to sink in um, to a lot of a lot of individuals starting these sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, more innovative business or innovation businesses. Um, so I think that that the lean startup probably uh, well, there's two ways it could go. It could be more lean startup focus, which is very customer centric, where you're mm-hmm. going out and you're sh- you're showing people a version of a product, or at least talking about a limited feature set of a product getting customer feedback and you're trying to get to that product market fit where you're like, I want this. I want to buy this. Here's, here's, here's $300. Take it now and give it to me. But there's the, also the sort of traditional waterfall engineering mindset, which is I'm going to make this cause I think this is the thing I want to make mm-hmm. and I'm going to push and I'm going to get it designed and I'm going to push it out there. And, and, and that works as well. Um, Although a lot of people would argue it doesn't work as well. I think actually a hybrid between the two is really where things settle because um, you ask Steve Jobs, well, you can't do that anymore, unfortunately, but, uh, or Mark Zuckerberg, you know, if you had shown someone an original Macintosh who wasn't a hardcore computer geek and said, this is going to be for everybody, everybody would say, I don't want that. So that's where sort of lean startup fails a little bit. And where the innovator really has to push forward. Yeah, I think especially if it's something really like revolutionary, people don't know what they don't know. Yes. <laughs> so you can ask them all, you know, what problems they're having and if they'd like the solution. But a lot of the times they won't even know yep. what <laughs> what they want. <laughs> so yeah, I think you kind of have to have that hybrid world of, of sort of that that sort of innovation, revolutionary push. And not every innovation is revolutionary. I mean, that's another thing that I've, I've struggled with a little bit as, as people come into Collider, we have these discussions and, and of course everybody thinks that whatever they're doing is the most revolutionary thing. And in many cases, it's not revolutionary, it's evolutionary. Hmm. And maybe that takes a little different approach to how you're going to build a business. Um, and maybe things like lean startup make more sense than when it's, when it's, a it's a more evolutionary jump than something that is just so foreign to everybody that they can't grasp the concept. Mm-hmm. And maybe before we get too far down the line, what what are your thoughts on the difference between small business and startup and traditional and non-traditional businesses? I know this is a lot of what we're thinking about right now with Collider. Um, I'm still grappling with a lot of that, quite honestly. And I don't think I'm not. Right I'm or not, not going to. I feel like I've been put on the spot for <laughs> like being the glossary of, of entrepreneurism. But um, well, to me, small business is more like traditional, like you were saying, like the bank loan, bank loanable. I don't think that's a word, but <laughs> bank loan, well, it is now. I'm sure every bank would totally get behind you mean, bank loanable. You know, maybe a bank loan, whereas a startup or non-traditional business. You know, maybe it's more venture backing, seed backing. So maybe you need more money faster to accelerate that process. Yeah, I think if you're going to scale, so at at one point, and this is not how I kind of think about it nowadays, but at one point I was thinking that if if your idea was to create a business that impacted just your community, then you were a small business. You. Um, 
and and something that really your goal was you you feel that your product or your service could change the world could be global that to me was more of that that startup sort of entrepreneurial venture that mm-hmm. that we think of um I still that's that's where I started as I was trying to think through you know what what's a small business what's you know everything else but I don't know. I don't know what a great definition is yet. It's really, it's really not. The problem with all these definitions is, at the end of the day, it's someone trying to build a business, right? And some people have uh, community needs that they try to fill, and some people have bigger. And I don't, I don't actually. I'm not. And I, I remember David saying this. I was listening to uh, this podcast or your pod, recent podcast mm-hmm. on the way in, and and saying, you know, it, it's. To back or, or to have, you know, four or five or six or 10 of 20 of these small businesses makes a greater economic impact in aggregate than a lot of these sort of moonshot um, startups can do um, because it takes about 10 or 20 of those to get one success. Um, so I, I like that. I, I think that there's room in, in our ecosystem for all business. Um, but I think the path to achieve success in those businesses is, is at the beginning it's, it's similar and then it sort of diverges. And as we grow Collider, I really want to see, um, I really want to see how we, how we can, we can help as many people as, as, as we can with, um, giving them the, or as I keep saying, the correct networks and frameworks. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to talk about our entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Rochester, um, and I think a lot of people kind of know the history, but I just want to touch on that a little bit. So, you know, you've been in the entrepreneurial community here for what, eight, eight years, years. <laughs> eight, eight years when, when, when there was no such thing as the words entrepreneurial community. <laughs> yeah. And I know to break down, you know, those eight years would take a long time, but what do you see as kind of highlights from eight years ago or maybe even prior to that to now? So I think when we started eight years ago, it was it was a very fragmented community. So you had large employers, you had um, uh, sort of your your traditional economic development organizations. You had entrepreneurs in various in various roles, um, and I think starting anything, you're sort of a little bit naive on what what you think you can do. You come up with this, I can change the world mentality. And really you, as you, as you continue to work in a community and try to understand where everybody's coming from, I think you realize it takes time and you, you have to learn to be a little bit patient, you know, still pushing forward, but realizing that everyone is going, is going to, is going to, uh, move it at light speed everybody sort of moves at their own pace. Um, so I think the beautiful thing about what's happened over the last eight years is this move towards an, an understanding and acceptance that entrepreneurship is a real economic driver in our community. And we have an amazing chance to actually uh, 10x that in many ways and really make entrepreneurship a, a, a massive, massive thing in our community. And it's really taken all this time to sort of, you know, work with all these groups and these organizations, these these uh, large companies, these small businesses, and really say, hey, together we can do something great. 
And of course, we don't have to 100% always play together. But I think everybody knows what everybody's doing at this point, And that's very crucial to helping to move our community forward. Um, so seeing you know, many, many events that we've done and community gatherings and seeing more people represented from all over Rochester has been huge for us. And looking forward, I think the state of Minnesota has started to get behind entrepreneurship a lot more and entrepreneurship outside of the Twin Cities. You know, uh, Minnesota, we're blessed with, with Minneapolis and St. Paul, these, these giant cities. Um, but realizing there's a lot more geographic area to Minnesota and there's a lot more talented uh, uh, innovators, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, and entrepreneurs that really do need a lot more assistance. It's, it's every, everybody geographically is spaced apart a lot farther. So I think uh, uh, all of it is sort of coming together at the right time. And I think that's really exciting. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes in the next five years. I think we're, it's really just putting our foot on the accelerator, and I think we're all we're all together on this and just pushing forward as fast as we can, but always keeping our entrepreneurs in mind because those are the people we're serving. Yeah, I think we certainly have a lot of hubs in southeast Minnesota that are very different in their culture and composition of entrepreneurs when you go from, you know, Red Wing to Winona, uh, Mankato, Austin, um, just these really interesting hubs that are growing up. And I think like you were saying, you know, we can't even compare ourselves to the Twin Cities. And even in the sense that, you know, when you think of what leads to an entrepreneurial ecosystem, you always think students. And I think we just have to be more creative about where our students come from geographically <laughs> and understanding that people can work virtually when you don't have a traditional for your university in your immediate city limits. That doesn't mean you can't leverage students within, you know, 50 miles or so uh, to, to help your entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And I think we're, Southern Minnesota is such a unique place. So we have a lot, you know, I'll give you three examples. We have Austin, Minnesota, which is the home, the home of Hormel Foods. Um, there's a lot going on around food and innovation and food innovation in the Austin area. Um, there's a lot of wealth that's created by having Hormel become this giant mega corporation that helps to spur a lot of entrepreneurial activity. Uh, here in Rochester, we have Mayo Clinic, which is arguably the top hospital in the nation, if not the world. Um, that's creating medical innovations that are, are have been licensed all over the world, but now the focus is, is how can we keep those innovations, at least in part, here and growing. Um, and then you have Winona, which through Fastenal and, and a couple of other large successes have really created an engineering culture um, in the community. And, and so those are amazing things to have, you know, really from, from beginning to end about 100 miles apart. Um, and, and you're absolutely right that there are some great universities in the region. There are some fantastic students. And we just have to think a little bigger geographically. Yeah. but. I always, I always, at one point, you know, I kept saying we're so big geographically, but if you take a, a, a Google map of Minneapolis and St. Paul and you overlay it over Southern Minnesota or a Chicago or anything like that, actually that distance becomes very small. It's just because a city disappears and there's cornfields and, and cattle and pasture land, um, 
in between, you, you think it's a long ways away, but if we were in a giant city, we would be like, oh my gosh, this is so close. Well, it can take two hours to get from southeast metro area to kind of the northwest in the Twin Cities. So, I mean, you could go to Winona and back in that yep. amount of time. Absolutely. <laughs> it might, it's definitely more mileage, but it's faster. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think I've never thought about it like that, that, you know, geographically or even just time-wise, it's faster to go, you know, to not to Mankato, but to Austin than to from one side of the Twin Cities to the other. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, for people that are drawn to places like Rochester, which is, is you know, about 116,000 people, um, the commutes are ridiculously short. We always mm-hmm. joke that we have a rush half hour every day. I can't even listen to two songs from my No, it, it, it really <laughs> sucks for people who love podcasts and, yeah. and audiobooks because you're used to being like, I could, when I lived in other cities, bigger cities, I could, I could spend, I don't know, two hours in the car and I would get through a book fairly fast or a podcast. Now it's really hard. You have to, you actually have to devote time during your work day to putting on headphones and listening to your favorite audio material, at least in my case. Yeah. It takes me like two months to listen to an audio book because I just, I'm never in the car. Um, and I think too, I feel like in the community, we've had a lot of pitch competitions over the past couple of years, very like niche too, and very specific between, you know, obviously Minnesota Cup, which has reach in the whole state. You know, we have Ignite Cup that feeds into that. Walleye Tanquist feeds into that. Um, the Assist of Tech Challenge. I'm sure I'm leaving some out. I believe there's some at Mankato for the students in Winona. There used to be one. I don't know if there is any more, but there's a lot. And I think that's so important to talk about your ideas in public and start to talk about them and be comfortable with them, even if you're not ready, you know, making sure all your whatever IP is safe, but, you know, just putting yourself out there and and talking about it is just a huge thing. And then showing that activity. I met a a gentleman uh, at the last Red Wing Ignite event who uh, has come recently from the Valley and and is working in the Twin Cities. And I asked him, what's the biggest difference between Silicon Valley and even Metro Minneapolis, St. Paul? And he said the thing he's noticed the most is when he's in line at, for, say, for instance, a subway in the valley, everybody's pitching each other while they're standing in line. <laughs> Could get old after a while. And, and he's like, here, they, they don't do that. We all stand with our arms folded yeah. or, or even worse, our heads down looking at our shoes. We don't maintain eye contact. And he said um, he felt that the biggest thing we were missing was exactly what you're saying with these pitch competitions. It's getting people comfortable talking about their ideas and and the culture, and, and not to say that um, we'll ever replicate that culture here of Silicon Valley, nor do I think we should, but that idea of getting people out and actually having having that time when people say, what do you do or what are you working on? Being able to string that together coherently, and and I always tell people, I mean, that's really the premise of what Collider was 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 founded on, which is tell us, you know, all these great people working in one space for the co-working space, and there's an opportunity for them to talk to each other about what they're doing, and and the sparks and the connections that help that happen because of that is just simply amazing, um, and so yeah, I'm always a big fan of of. You know, these great pitch competitions that we've had over the years, um, I can see 
room for more, but at the same time, I don't want to get bucketed into, you know, pitches are the way to do things. Yeah. Because when we think about, again, going back to our previous conversation about uh, uh, more maybe brick and mortar entrepreneurs, um, they don't need to be pitching, no. you know, anybody for anything. It's you know, they need path. to be, yeah. they need to be painting walls and, and, and pitching the bank, pitching the <laughs> bank. So maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe just having that practice is, yeah. is not a bad thing either. Yeah. Um, I also found, and it's kind of funny, well, not really, but along those lines is that people in this community sometimes have a hard time identifying themselves as an entrepreneur. And I don't know if it goes back to what you said in the beginning that like, we typically think of these as the high growth potential tech related. Um, and I especially find that to be true when people aren't like all in, in their business, when it's a side hustle, um, they have a really hard time identifying themselves as an entrepreneur. I really wish that, so, um, putting on my science nerd hat. So there was a time back hundreds of years ago in the, in the chemistry world where people got together, like the entire world got together and said, we have to have a common, a common language. And we have to understand that, you know, atomic weight is atomic weight and you can't have English atomic weight. And you know, metric atomic weight or whatever. This is, this is me losing all my science knowledge as I move into business. But they agreed on standards. And I would love, I think we've done a little bit of that with Kaufman and Eship trying to do that. Um, I, but for our community, I mean, I've been wrestling with that. We, I was in a meeting yesterday where we, you know, it always starts out with what's the definition of an entrepreneur? Who are we <laughs> trying to serve? And right. it's like, Maybe a better way to say it is I am a, a, a business person or I don't know, something more general. I mean, I, I almost, I don't think we'll ever get away from the term entrepreneur because I think it's so ingrained now, but I don't really care what you call yourself. I think I, as a connector, can identify you as an entrepreneur, uh, but it does, it does suck for branding. And you could say this is an entrepreneurial event or Collider serves entrepreneurs. And immediately people can just turn and say, well, that's not me. And so it is something we have to think about. I just really don't know the right answer yet. Mm -hmm. I think trying to keep things broad. I know uh, I just uh, posted uh, our latest One Million Cups to YouTube. And you know, I'm thinking about hashtags. And I, I do entrepreneur immediately. But I've started to do just business mm -hmm. or small business. And, and I kind of lump everything together because I, I, how we do that in the real world, I don't want to have 100 hashtags after Collider's name of who do we serve, but it's something that I would love to be able to figure out. And, and I actually think each community is different. Totally um, agree. Maybe small business works for one community. Maybe entrepreneur works for another. Um, I think it's just going out and listening to stakeholders, seeing how they're referring to things. And if there's something in common, then I would suggest just adopting that and moving forward, because um, you can get you can get caught in in it's like how uh, naming your company should be like the one of the last things you do. <laughs> right, everyone gets so hung up on that. Right, it's and, like it totally and so matter. you'll it's total paralysis, and you're, you're gonna you're gonna spend the next forever trying to do it. So I think it's important, but at the same time, um, I think we just have to push forward with words like entrepreneur. 
and I think through education and, and what we do in the community uh, will help people sort of understand that concept but be open. And, and that's why I love putting the disclaimer after each of our events that our, our events are open to everyone. Mm-hmm. That helps from a you know, sort of diversity standpoint, but it also helps for people that just don't self-identify as an entrepreneur. Right. So I'll try not to use that word then, but, you know, when we're looking at our ecosystem here, who do you see as being like part of that innovation ecosystem or community? Do you see kind of trends in, let's say, age or gender or industry that are really um, either prominent or, or kind of rising in the community or, you know, stage of development? So... I mean, really, I, I see, <laughs> I feel like uh, it's, it's, the, it's the movie The Sixth Sense. I see entrepreneurs, and they're everywhere. Um, but I see great examples from all over our community. I see uh, what, what Steve Russell and his team are doing over at Viriad, um, which is really, truly creating the next generation of cancer cures. Um, that's an example of, of course, when people think of Rochester, of a life science kind of uh, in many ways, pharma uh, mm-hmm. startup that's starting to really have some 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 scale. They're starting to scale. Um, in, in sort of the the tech world, I think of what Mike Rowley is doing with GoRoute. You know, taking football practice technology to the next level and really making it, really moving it into the it's a cliche now, but the 21st century um, with heads up displays and and all of that and the work he does. So in the world of medical device, I think of Sonics Health. So Daryl, Jay, and Aaron, and the work that they've done creating this great tool for minimally invasive carpal tunnel repair, which is, I, I actually saw it on some, you know, uh, so someone who had had that procedure performed. You know, I've, I've heard about it for years. I've seen great visuals, but I've never actually seen yeah. someone who had it performed. And I remember when that was a disassembled pile of, of junk in, in, in the Mayo Clinic Business Accelerator that they were putting together into their, you know, kind of crude prototypes and to actually see a completed procedure. Um, I got kind of emotional about it, which was, which was kind of strange, but uh, I, I guess that's, it's just cool to see something become a reality. Yeah, I was actually having dinner with my godmother last week and she was having carpal tunnel and I was like, well, why don't she just is putting it off, putting it off. I'm like, why are you putting it off? She's like, well, I won't be able to work for like months. I'm like, well, <laughs> I have a thought for you. <laughs> wow, you should uh, you should get evangelist points for that for for Sonics for sure. Um, and then food, you know, I think of what Pasquale does, you know, with his, with his pizzeria and and how much he's created a movement for you know quality pizza that we don't see here for giving back to the community in in amazing ways and just being a really outstanding person in our community who who isn't afraid to tell it like it is but he's not he's not afraid to be you know vulnerable too and say you know mm-hmm. we've had a lot of, of different sessions that have featured him that have just been very very inspiring and um so there's i guess those are the four off the top of my head or th- was it three um i think what sherpa is doing at an earlier stage right now uh, in terms of like a more pure tech play, but really trying to highlight what what what's the amazing things that are going on in Rochester instead of having the tried and true uh, thing that we hear from a lot of people is nothing goes on in this community, nothing's happening. Well, they're proving every day that's wrong. And 
they're working towards really building a company that highlights these amazing you know, trips that you can take through Rochester and the region and really kind of fall in love again with, with your community. And I think that's a really powerful thing that can be scaled and can be put into many communities, you know, across the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the whole food truck to brick and mortar thing Absolutely. too, and that was probably like about four years ago, you know, the twisted barrel, wood fire pizza, El Tacario, El Tacario Sueno, went from food truck to brick and mortar. I'm sure there's more that I'm just, but those two come to the top of my head. But yeah, that just opened up so many, you know, there's so many pop-ups now between, um, well, Fig, enabling commercial kitchen space for people, um, Marrow, where two chefs basically run the kitchen and do all the ordering and basically everything, but, you know, managing, you know, the brick and mortar structure of it, but everything else, you know, letting people test these ideas out to just give more variety to our food scene here that wasn't even here like two years ago. So I see that as being really um, kind of a very newer thing that will help kind of fuel the food scene here. Yeah, and in thinking of, you know, the <laughs> I jokingly say the brew pub of the week that opens yeah. up, um, but you see what Little Thistle is doing. And, uh, you know, our, our most recent presentation was from uh, the Curling Club of Rochester. And, you know, the, Steve at Little Thistle it basically, you know, froze over an area in front of Little Thistle, this brew pub, to allow some outdoor curling to start happening and just mm-hmm. some real fun and excitement around that. And it it just brings... A community together and it brings a community together in an area of town that wasn't necessarily active in the past it was basically an old warehouse district and i could see just so many more great things our food is such a that food and beverage scene here is is just set to explode very very soon and i'm really looking forward to it i think it's going to be amazing and it's going to really set rochester when people say what is there to do they can use an app like sherpa to say I can't believe all the choices we have here in our city. Yeah, we're really getting away from the chain type things here, which yep. I get it because it get, brings comfort to people. Although I would still um, like a Chili's. I'm just going to put I'd in love that. Chili's. If, if we could, if we could, uh, if anybody from Chili's is listening right now, we need a franchise. Like I, I'm, I'm totally. I will find you a franchisee. I will, I will help groom them to run a Chili's. This is a I desperate know. plea from me, and I have no clue why. Because I eat there once, and I don't have to eat there for like three months. But I know. But I mean, that's a couple. That's at least four times a year. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like we had one before, but maybe that was a TGI Fridays and maybe we It was a TGI that. Fridays. Okay. Yeah. There was never a Chili's here. So when I moved here, uh, 15 years ago, I created a bucket list of things that I would have to <laughs> have to franchise. stay in the community. Um, a Costco was one. Um, so that was done. Um, there was, there was a few more, but Chili's is, is the one I hop and Chili's. And from what I hear, we're getting one. An IHOP? Uh-huh. Or and Chili's? An IHOP. Oh. So Chili's is like the last thing on the list. <sighs> and it's so funny because, I mean, I love local stuff. But for some reason, I, you know, I was this, when I was out in Boulder, Colorado, and I was, I was walking along Pearl Street, you, you see this Starbucks almost right next to an independent coffee shop. And you're like how does this exist side by side? Why is Starbucks doing what we are told that they can come and take over and wipe everything out? But it's actually two different businesses serving two different clientels. And, and they, they crisscross and cross pollinate sometimes, which is great. And I think, you know, for, we have, we are, uh, you know, we're setting ourselves up more and more and we are a medical tourist community. We get millions of visitors every year for treatment at Mayo Clinic. 
Um, some of those people want the local scene. Some want what's comfortable to them. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully it's not, you know, something that's, that's causing them uh, greater uh, physical uh, ailments. But um, I think that, you know, having some of those choices available also uh, are, is a sign of a strong and growing community. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought it was interesting too when we did, I guess the technical term would be primary market research in the community that we found, you know, at least 25 different service, entrepreneurial service organizations or ESOs in the community, which seems, I was surprised we had that many. And the most shocking thing was that they were all in pretty different lanes with not very overlapping services. Um, So we definitely have a lot of support for entrepreneurs. I think it's just kind of opening up the connection point between the innovators, the entrepreneurs, and those so people know they exist and exactly what they serve. But that was a shocking part. There's not really much overlap in what people are providing. So for me, I, I started out as a connector. That's what I've sort of built my reputation on. And it's always been how do you connect you know, that innovator, that entrepreneur with the thing that they need or the the person that could help them move something forward. Um, And it's so funny that in the past six months, I've been feeling kind of paralyzed when it comes to how do we get, you know, knowing that you've, you've captured all this great data showing that people, these entrepreneurial service organizations really don't overlap all that much. Um, But I was it's funny, I was flailing trying to figure out like, how do I get these people to you know, come together and how do I get them? And it's like, oh my God, I, I, I'm a connector. I just don't see connecting organizations like I see connecting people. It's still people. Yeah, it's still people <laughs> at the end of the day. Amazingly enough, these these organizations are people. Uh, and and so I think we've really spent the, here in the last month trying to bring these organizations around a table, having conversations showing and really proving to them that that there's there's no real threat here. I mean, really, as long as we're all focused on uh, a, a new term that came out of a meeting yesterday that I love is economic vitality. Hmm. As long as we're focused on economic vitality in our region, and that's sort of our means or our, our metric that we are our vision that we're moving towards, um, it's an amazing thing, and and it gets a lot of people around the table, and it gets a lot of people really understanding. And I think sometimes there's a lack of understanding on, on, on many, like, what is the entrepreneurial journey? And, of course, that's not the same for everyone, but there are sort of milestones that everybody goes through. And, and they see just a tiny fraction of that, and they think that that's what's most effective for people. And really, it's the entire journey. It's, it's connecting them into the right services, the right the right connections that they need, the right access to capital that they need. Um, and it's it's just something that I think we've all finally started to realize that we can actually work together uh, through all these organizations. And and actually, it's, a, it's like... A, it's like uh, the old fighting a fire where a fire brigade where everybody's handing a pail of water to the next person down the chain. You know, just being able to do that with entrepreneurs, um, I think a lot of times when I talk to entrepreneurs, they're telling me, I don't need help. You know, I'm going to do this myself. No one's here to help me. And, and so we've got another battle coming probably in trying to convince entrepreneurs that have maybe attempted to come to the, some of these organizations, been helped a little bit, but then had no knowledge of that next 
entrepreneurial organization, service organization up the chain, that they should then go to that. And, and so I think there's there's a lot of education. There's a lot of proving it to entrepreneurs because education isn't going to solve their problem because they probably wouldn't take the time. They're too busy to listen to you. But I think uh, trying to educate them on the value of that and getting them to buy into that is something that we can't lose sight of. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the the gaps or opportunities, if you want to spin it in kind of a positive way, is, you know, convincing entrepreneurs that they can seek help and that help's going to be effective and making sure it's effective and efficient use of their their time with clear, you know, deliverables and objectives to what they're getting. And I think as well, you know, another opportunity is to definitely better serve, you know, those people the pipeline, basically. So getting more people into the pipeline and helping them vet through what they're thinking through, uh, you know, help people understand what's a good idea, what's a bad idea, when do I jettison a bad idea? And, you know, I think a strength right now, too, is that, you know, there's so much change going on in the community, in the different support organizations, in our entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem that, you know, hopefully this is the time and the space and the flexibility to create a system that works better for, for, for people with ideas. Yeah. And I think it's, 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 we're at that tipping point right now, uh, with all of our service provide our service organizations. And hopefully, um, I always say that the hardest group of people to convince are the groups that are involved during a big change. Hmm. Um, <coughs> but I think planting those seeds early, so getting more involved in K through 12, whether it's entrepreneurial education, it's it's more coding classes, it's, it's more hospitality sort of things uh, to go a different direction, talking about our food, food scene. Um, and sort of being present as organizations at a very early stage so that these people just see you as a resource, not as something to be feared or anything like that, I think. So I, I think the hardest part is now trying to get the current sort of entrepreneurs and ecosystem organizations. But once everything is together and we're going into schools, we're holding some great perhaps student uh, pitch competitions and, and they're... We're, we're a part of their life cycle as an entrepreneur. I think then we just become, you know, a great tool and a great reference for them. So I'm really thinking that there's, a, there's this kind of speed bump once we get all, you know, that we'll have to go over. But after that, I think if we do it right, that next generation and that next generation uh, will really see us as an asset and we'll probably need like 300 people to help. <laughs> Uh, that's another, that's another opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's probably, uh, uh, its own podcast in and of itself <laughs> called Help Wanted. Oh, all right. Well, I'll ask you some final questions since we're nearing the end. Um, what are you reading or listening to right now? Well, I should have been ready for that because as an avid <laughs> listener, um, I, I should have been ready. But um, you listening to the podcast so, this morning? <laughs> so I was listening to Rochester Rising. I just think that that's such a such a self like the cliche. You know, I'm patting you on the shoulder, um, so I'm trying to to have something that uh, is is a little more uh, helpful to the listeners. Um, I'm really fascinated right now with uh, this idea that Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn has on on blitz scaling. Mm. 
and it's not for every company. Uh, so I, I've been sort of reading about that. You know, when's that moment for a company that you have to step on the gas, and you've got to, you know, in, in many cycles, take on additional investment? How do you grow, and and how do you how do you weather that storm when it's a tight group of maybe ten people in a company, and suddenly in a year you're dealing with uh, having to manage 100, 200, 300 people. You know, there's always that that piece of scaling. That's something that I've never, um, in any company that I've started, I've never been fortunate enough to reach that stage. So that's a gap in my knowledge. So I'm trying to understand that. So I am devouring like more Reed Hoffman material. I'm, I'm kind of a Reed Hoffman junkie right now. So um, if you want to get into sort of Reed Hoffman and 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 there's a book called The Startup of You that he wrote years and years ago. But that really informed me as a community builder on, you know, you could think of yourself and your career and your life path as a startup. And that's really helped move me forward. So I think that's the, the, the book I would recommend the most to get people started. And then there's a book called The Alliance, which he basically talks about um, sort of these LinkedIn likes to have tours of duty. Okay. Not necessarily like you're in a job, but you're in a job for a specified period of time. And it's understood when you're hired that you're here for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And your role is, you know, uh, a very specific on, on what you want to play. And, and I like that concept. And so I love that sort of thinking that, that he has. Sounds very Star Wars type, the alliance. Actually, it's based on that. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, that's that's exactly <laughs> okay. where he got it from. Um, so he talks about a lot of the archetypal characters. It, you can look at the movie Star Wars, and you can see, um, you can see how these people fit. You know, there's the there's the sort of rogue. Uh, you know, the Han Solo type character who's coming in and he's he's for hire and he's, you know, that could be your first <laughs> marketing person or salesperson. And then they're out, you know, yeah. they just, they, they did their job and they're out. So it's just a very good book to sort of get you started. And then Blitzscaling and the books he's written afterwards are very more cerebral and, and data driven and things like that. So I'm, I'm trying to get into it, but it's hard to read those books right before you go to bed because yeah. you're like, Eyes are opening and closing and yeah. kind of falling asleep. <laughs> Where is your favorite location to be at in Rochester? The podcast, the DMC <laughs> Destination Medical Center podcast studio at Collider, um, <laughs> which is where we're recording now in our in our lovely elevator. Um, Everyone's like shocked that it's an elevator when they come in here. <laughs> it, it is an elevator. Um, I actually... I, I think you know it would it would probably be right of me to say my home or or with my family, but I really, after three years, like Collider to me feels like home. This this co working space. Um, so every morning I'm typically the first person in. Um, I'm not always the, the last person out, but I I, I really have I, every I know every inch of this place. I know every. Everything that, you know, every piece of brick that's kind of flaked off, you know, it's just, it feels, it feels like home to me because I've, I've tried to make it, you know, kind of my second space or second home. And, and so I, I really, I really love this space. I love what's happening here and it's, it never seems like a job. And so I think this is really my, my favorite space in the community. What do you feel has been one key resource in the community that's helped build Collider? 
it's funny. I, I was, I, I have a lot of thoughts that went through my head right there, but, um, at the end of the day, I think it's not one key resource. It's the community. So it's the great people that work here. Uh, we probably aren't the best marketers. We, we, you don't see Collider, you know, all over town on billboards. Uh, we learned very early on that, that word of mouth helps, um, helps us grow. And by providing quality experiences, you know, quality co-working, that community that brings people together, um, I think that's the greatest asset that has helped Collider be successful. And hopefully as we move forward into really building a, another sort of entrepreneurial ecosystem support organization here in Rochester, I think it's going to continue to be investing time in that community, making sure that everybody feels comfortable, everybody feels welcome. And I think that's what helps grow our ecosystem. So my last question for you, I'll ask you for any final thoughts and where people can find out more about Collider and our entrepreneurial ecosystem. So I need to redo some websites. Um, so <laughs> it's a little bit confusing. So uh, right now, if you go to colliderfoundation.org, uh, that is our nonprofit homepage for Collider, uh, the 501c3 nonprofit. Very soon, our co-working website and our nonprofit website will be merged together into one site, and that will fall under Collider.mn, which we've decided to be. Um, we we decided to sort of strip the name Foundation, although legally we are the Collider Foundation. But I think we want to be known going forward as Collider a great place uh, for entrepreneurial events, education, obviously storytelling, and space through our co-working spaces. So um, that's that's where people can find a lot about me. I've sort of taken this uh, year off, probably last year and a half from social media. I find it very depressing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I have, you know, Facebook and all that <laughs> stuff. Um I, I just don't tend to use it, and if you message me, I probably won't see it. So uh, <laughs> the best way is just to, to go to Collider's site and, and, and see. Uh, there's an email address, hello at collider.mn. Just use that, and it'll probably come to me in some way, shape, or form. And, and Or stop in. Or stop in and actually <laughs> see me or say hi at events. That's, that's also a great way to, to strike up a conversation and learn more about what we do here at Collider. Well, thanks for this conversation today. I think it was originally supposed to be 10 minutes. <laughs> I know. That never happens. <laughs> it's just kind of hard to like I, mesh everything into 10 minutes. My biggest my biggest sort of thing I need to get over right now is, I, and I'm doing it right now, is, is just I feel like I have to over-explain things. Um, the, the converse of that is I just say yes or no, and that's not very informative to people either. So I've got to find that sweet spot in the middle, and I'm working really hard to get there, but... I knew that that would pretty much blow into a, you know, oh, this will just take 10 minutes, and suddenly it's probably 40-some at this point. It's 48. 48. See, I was close. See, I, I knew it wasn't going to be 10 minutes. That's totally <laughs> fine. But yeah, no, thanks for your time today and sharing about the ecosystem. It's great to be here in the elevator. Thanks so much for Jamie for taking time to be on the podcast today. Again, we recorded this podcast in the very beginning of March, so certainly a lot has changed. But hopefully it reminds us all of each other, of members of our entrepreneurial ecosystem, and what this community has the potential to do and to become as we move forward. 
that's a wrap for our podcast today. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen in to your audio content so that you never miss a story of entrepreneurship and innovation coming out of Rochester, Minnesota. We'll see you here next week with a brand new episode.